to Ghoulish Tendencies. I'm Gabby. And I'm Kim. And we are two paranormal investigators who delve into the depths of the famous and not so famous cases of murder, ghosts, legends, and lore with a healthy dose of debunking. Yes. AKA schooling. <laughs> Forever and ever. <laughs> Forever and ever and ever. <laughs> Uh, and we are in we're in part two. Part deal. Part do. Although it is now spooky season is over. It is now it's never over with us, guys. <laughs> That's true. Spooky season year-round. It is now officially November. It is. Still different kind of spooky. <laughs> the winter spooky season. Winter spooky season, but still spooky in our hearts. I mean, for turkeys, it's terrifying. It's a very spooky turkey season. It's they're 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 not happy. Ghosts of turkeys are just wandering the streets left and right. <laughs> Could you imagine how many ghost turkeys are around on Thanksgiving though? Like so that's many. a little terrifying to think about. Maybe so I'm a vegetarian. Like, I'm waiting for the day that the ghost turkeys like have a rebellion and they all come full force and take over the <laughs> That's terrifying. Turkeys. It's the last thing you hear before you die. <laughs> the sound of the turkey yeah. call. The dulcet cries wafting in the breeze. All right. All right. Anyway, welcome back. Welcome back. <laughs> uh, we are, yeah, we are in part two of our Lizzie Borden episode. Yes. So uh, our first part, we dealt with a little bit of the history of the Borden family. Yep. And the time leading up to the murder and the murder itself. Yep. Uh, if you have not listened to part one, you might want to, because part two might get a little confusing. You do you, boo-boo. I mean, yeah, you do you, but I'm I'm just saying it might get a little bit confusing if you have not heard the first part of this. Very fair. So, where we last left off, our heroine, Lizzie Borden, not Elizabeth, but Lizzie, uh, she had just gotten arrested. Sucks to be Lizzie. <laughs> it sucks to be Lizzie. You know, it's it's funny because so she she gets arrested, and this poor poor woman being arrested, and she gets taken to the jail, and she's so upset, and the marshal feels so very bad for her that he does not initially put her in the jail cell that was prepared for her. Where'd she go? He put her in a room in the matron's apartment. Oh. So the matron, I mean, those of you who are familiar with Chicago, you know, you got mm-hmm. the, yeah, yeah, when you get to mama, the matrons would have, would have been a woman on premises, basically, who was kind of chaperoning, looking out for, for any women prisoners. Well, that's good. So that's good. Yeah. So they, they set her up in, in a room in the matron apartment. The matron apartment's going to be a lot nicer, too, than a jail cell. Um, uh, a lot of times, too, you have a woman who's maybe a little bit older, sometimes married to, to one of the officers. Um, but it it does kind of fall back into this attitude of the times. You had this woman and not just any woman, you had an upper class really woman being accused of murder and arrested. And I don't know, could a woman be this brutal? Could a woman I mean, do this? You met yourself, Kim? I'm just kidding. <laughs> True. But again, we can't look at things through uh 2020 lenses because well and this is this is something i really loved in my research that came out is that apparently a weapon like a hatchet the hatchet was used in these murders it was considered a masculine weapon may i ask what a feminine weapon would be like poison 
poison was considered a more feminine method oh. of murdering, which is ironic, not just because there's that whole thing with her trying to buy the, the prussic acid. Yeah. Uh, but a lot of famous female serial killers were poisoners. Well, so the more you know. But like, I don't understand. I don't understand how a hatchet suddenly becomes more masculine. Like, I get the whole phallic nature of a gun. But it, a hatchet's not really... I don't know. Maybe it's because you're hacking things. I was going to say, is it because it takes strength to really make a really good hit? But does it? This is this is going to play into things, actually. So oh. Lizzie and her lawyer, Andrew Jackson Jennings. What a name. What a name. Kim's favorite names. Oh, we got we got a couple that are even better than that. Oh, yeah. Um, they, you know, show up for her raiment and and Jennings puts in kind of an interesting request. Uh, he asks the judge to step down. Why? He considered the judge disqualified, quote, preside over the arraignment because the inquest wasn't closed yet. That's weird. And same judge who's presiding over the inquest is presiding over uh, the arraignment. And so Jennings' argument is that, you know, you're still getting evidence coming through this evidence. inquest. Evidence. evidence. And this could influence the judge. I mean, that's legit. No, that, that is kind of legit. And, and he says, you know, Jennings argued that he had not been allowed in the room for the inquest. So he also doesn't know what's been presented. Mm. And the prosecutor's like, that's dumb. And the judge is kind of like, yeah, it's dumb. So he's overruled. Uh, Lizzie pleads not guilty. Of and course. Her attorney's like, all right, cool, let's get this going. And the prosecutor, whose name is Hosea Knowlton. Wow. That's a good win. one. That's yep. a good one. Um, he was like, ah, we're not really ready yet. <laughs> we have a little bit more time. So the judge gives him 10 days. Preliminary hearing scheduled to begin on August 22nd of 1892. So take a moment to appreciate how fast everything has moved. Murders happened on August 4th of 1892. Lizzie is arrested on August 11th. Damn. And the preliminary hearing is now scheduled to begin on the 22nd. So like three weeks from murder to starting things. They did not waste any time. They did not waste any time. So Lizzie's escorted back to the jail, this time in an actual jail cell. She has to wait out the next 10 days. Already media circus. Uh, there was apparently like, not just people trying to get in to see her. There was women who traveled from Boston to try and join her for her Sunday service at the jail. Why? People are weird. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but also People, that doesn't even make sense. But think about it. So, I mean, here, here's the thing, though. This whole idea that, that the celebrity culture, even the celebrity culture of murder is new, it's not. It's really not. That's fair. And so this was just, you know, the 1890s version of it. That's so interesting. I didn't, I didn't even think about it that way at all. Like, it didn't connect because all I could think about was, like, a religion or religious purpose. No, this is, the, this is the 1890s version of, like, writing to Chris Watts and telling him he's misunderstood, which, P.S., if you're not familiar with the Chris Watts case, my God, it's a more <laughs> recent case. He is a horrible human being, and I'm not a fan of the death penalty, but I would not cry if he died. I'm just saying. 
I mean, to each their own. He he murdered his pregnant wife and oh. their two young children. Okay, bye. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, I digress. So uh sheriff, though, the sheriff thankfully is like, nope, she deserves her privacy. Inevitably, some information was getting leaked. And in fact, in Sarah Miller's book, The Borden Murders, I referenced a lot last week. I'm going to continue mm-hmm. to reference. It is a fantastic book full of wonderful information. Uh, she writes, the Herald reported that in spite of sleeping brokenly, Lizzie Borden arose refreshed at six o'clock with the rest of the prisoners and made her own meds. She did not partake of the fish hash, which, yes, I don't blame her, served (laughs) at seven o'clock. That sounds disgusting. Fish hash, gross. Making do with only a cup of coffee and a nibble of bread until her dinner arrived from the hotel at noon. Dinner at noon? No, they called, you had like dinner and supper, the whole. Ah, got it. So what's really interesting is that there is this divide about her arrest. Because people were like, no, 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 she's guilty. We should arrest her. But now they're looking at this nice, well-bred woman in jail. And that she might not be getting the fair trials she should be getting. And they're getting angry because it's also like, if this is happening to her. Could happen to anybody. Could this happen to me? I don't know. Maybe they were planning on hacking their families to death. And they're kind of worried about what could happen to them. That's fair. Uh, the prosecutor getting letters from people too. In fact, he had one woman who wrote him who said, the rights of a noble woman had been trampled upon by you and your bloodhounds who, having run your suspicions to their end, are gloating over their object. Holy dramatic. Oh my God. I know. I, I, I have to say the sheer melodrama of some of the correspondence is utterly delightful. It sounds like a soap opera. <laughs> it kind of, it honestly kind of is. And this wasn't helped by the fact that you're seeing in the press facts being warped and twisted. And this is really where you start to see some of those rumors, some of those legends that would later go on to become part of the Lizzie Borden lore. Because everybody's talking about this, not just locally. And the more people talk, the more a story grows. It is a huge, horrible game of telephone. We are very familiar with this. We are very familiar with this. But all of those rumors about how Lizzie was hostile to her stepmother, hostile at home, that that Andrew Borden was afraid of his daughter, thought she was doing things, that he killed her beloved pigeons. This is where you start to see it kind of take off. Not Ah. grounded in actual facts, but in gossip. And much like the year 2020, people are playing armchair detective, trying to solve the cases themselves. They even brought in psychics and mediums being like, I totes talk to the dead. I can tell you how, what happened in this case. (laughs) I love that. You like that? I do. (laughs) So every time someone talks about this new fascination with true crime too, again, like this is a time of Lizzie Borden, Jack the Ripper, H.H. Holmes. All of these are contemporaries of each other. And the media is going bonkers. They're eating it up. They are eating it up. And people are eating it up. It's selling papers. So the preliminary hearing, it doesn't really get going till August 25th, uh, since the prosecutor was still waiting on some evidence pieces to come in. They weren't really ready. The medical examiner takes the stand. And Colonel Melvin Adams. Melvin. Melvin, he has been brought on as an additional attorney. 
Okay. So he is the one questioning the medical examiner. Things take an awkward turn. Uh-oh, did they talk about menstruation? Oh, no, I wish, though. That would have been epic. No. Oh, can you imagine two, like, <laughs> men in court discussing a lady's menstruation? I just okay. really wanted to bring it back, you know, because now the goal is that every episode <laughs> we're going to have to reference menstruation. It. Okay, we'll try. We'll try real hard. Uh, <laughs> no. So Adams asks him, did you remove anything from those bodies or either of them? And he responds, yes, sir. I removed the skulls. What? Oh, yes. Wait, they decapitated them? They decapitated them. Ew! Oh, my God, why? Because he was told to do so by the state attorney general. Okay, but why? Well, and this reminds me a little of, of Hinterkaifeck, remember, where they, they removed the, the skulls. So he, he wanted to examine the wound structure and better see it. But the thing is, in order to do this, you can't just remove the heads. You got to clean them. You know what? You know what you did to clean a head? What did you do to clean a head, Kim? Well, they've only been dead a couple of weeks, right? So it's still very much a, a head, not a skull. You boil it. Ew! So you gross. boil it. So the skin and all of the tissue and blah, it just, it falls away. And then you have some nice head soup. Ew, I'm making the grossest face and you guys can't see it. <laughs> it's delicious. Uh, but also the bodies have been, yes, bodies have been buried. Headless. Oh, no. And like this is where the story of the headless <laughs> horseman came it from. Is, it is. Uh, but this, like, this pissed people off. In fact, one paper actually said, the bodies have been made sausage meat of. Oh, my God. <laughs> Melodrama. Uh, and I mean, no, they weren't. But I, I get the sentiment. Where's Hannibal when you need him, you know? <laughs> he would have been having a ball. He would have loved this. Eating it right up. Eating it right up. <laughs> oh, I didn't do that very well. <laughs> Still not, still not my best work. What can I say? Sorry. I forgive you. <laughs> so the, the attitude towards Lizzie is shifting. And it's becoming clear it would have been really challenging for someone else to sneak in the house. Lizzie is being described as cold and indifferent. I mean, I get it. She's being charged with the murder of her dad. Like, of her dad and her stepmother. Yeah. Not just would be. Yeah. Well, and, and I mean, again, it, it becomes very subjective because cold and, and indifferent to one person is for somebody else, them trying to not just lose their shit. Right. We talk about this in other episodes too, about how people cope with death. Yeah. yeah. Like same exact thing. Yeah. So I, I think it's not fair to look at somebody and say guilt or innocence based on the fact that they seemed like they weren't reacting to much. Um, but this is also where you're seeing her address differently in the papers. Because mm. she starts off being Miss Lizzie or even Lizzie Borden, full name, to just being called Lizzie. Oh. Yeah. So Professor Edward Stickney Wood. What? Can I know. You, what was his last name? Edward Stickney Wood. That's what she said. 
That's what she said. He takes a stand. Wow. Uh, he is the, the one that's running the tests on the contents of the Borden's stomachs. Okay. Cause they had been ill. Remember the night before and it right. had coincided with Lizzie buying that poison mm-hmm. or trying to, she was not successful. And a lot of people thinking she tried to poison them. So they're like, Oh, this is going to be good. There's going to be a big reveal. Cause people still to this day, people look at this and be like, Oh, she tried to poison them. You know what was in their stomachs? What? Nothing. Nothing of note. I mean, food. <sighs> No you got me so excited. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. But okay. okay. All right. So she didn't poison them. But what about the hatchet? The hatchet with its weird spots on it. And with there was masculinity. With its masculinity, its sheer phallicness. It was like a giant penis that was used to beat them to death. And it had, it had stains on it. And there was hair. The hair must have been human. It left a gaping hole. It left a gaping hole. Oh God, there's too many gaping hole jokes I'm not going to make right now. Um, no, the spots were rust, not blood, just rust. Right. Not Fair. a speck of blood on them or on what was left of the handle, which was not much. And the hair, the hair, cow. Cow hair. All right. Cow hair, bovine. Well, as though maybe somebody... Well, either it's a barn, so maybe it got hair attached to it because it's a barn, or maybe somebody used it at one point in, like, butchering a cow. I mean, it wouldn't be unheard of at that time yeah. to do that. I mean, a hatchet's kind of a weird thing to use to butcher a cow, but it would work. Uh, but all right, okay, okay. But Lizzie, ah, Lizzie had a dress, right? Right. That dress, there was that dress that was found with blood on it. Right, menstruation. They found with, well, no, that, those were clothes. Is it? You just really want to bring menstruation up, girl. No. Um, The police had taken in one dress when they'd searched her clothing. One dress that had some blood on it. I mean, the blood was like a tiny, tiny, tiny little lip of blood. Just a wee little drop. Like from a flea bite, probably, which is what she thought. So, yeah, that just damning it. So everything is getting scullied now. Everything's getting scullied. Um, The one thing that did come out was uh, Abby Borden's stomach. It had uh, not been digesting as long as Andrew's. Would that mean that she was killed first? Yeah. So this reinforces our time frame a little because they ate breakfast at the same time. So it means that Abby died somewhere between 9 a.m. to 1030 a.m. That is still quite a large window if you think about it. Right. Um. Because that's a 90-minute window she could have died. Andrew Borden, they think, died, like he was discovered about, what, 11, 20, 11, 30. And so uh, nothing is really fully proven by that other than, yes, she died before Andrew, which we basically already knew. Could you also argue that she had a faster metabolism and could have digested things faster? Mm, my understanding is that does not... That's not really how digestion works. Okay. Like digesting things faster doesn't necessarily have anything to do with your metabolism. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, I'm not a... I I mean, that's a thing I would have to look up to get into the science of because I am in no means an expert on any of these things. But digestion and metabolism are not the same thing. Okay. Um, Because one has to do with fat burning and the other one has to do with just food processing <laughs> that's true okay and stomach acid and blah 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 but uh that is a thing i could do more research on if i need to so the judge has to decide now 
whether or not he should release her or send the case to the superior court. So both lawyers give their take on things. The judge orders her to jail and says that a grand jury needs to meet. Rut row. But the next grand jury is not meeting until November. That's a while. A while, so she's got to stay in jail. That sucks. And again, that rumor mill, man, it is cranking out those rumors because now they're saying, oh, you know what? Lizzie was asking about wills and property. Andrew Borden did have a will and it would have left the bulk of his money to other people, not his daughters. Everybody says, oh no, I heard this. I I saw this. There was even a rumor going around that Lizzie had been pregnant because she had maybe been having an affair with her father. So yay, people are awesome, aren't they? Yeah, gross. The grand jury meets uh, and they decide that, nope, there's enough here. Let's send her to trial. But what I found most interesting about this is apparently the prosecutor now is kind of thinking it's not something he'll be able to win. Hmm. In fact, he wrote, it does not seem to me that we ought to take the responsibility of discharging her without trial, even though there is every reasonable expectation of a verdict of not guilty. He thinks she's guilty, but he doesn't necessarily think that they will be able to convict her. So he doesn't have the evidence. Well, and, and I mean, again, beyond evidence evidence you got to convince 12 men that a 126 pound woman is capable of this i mean as a woman that's a frustrating thing like hell that's yeah i said capable of doing this but also maybe for the sake of my life i'm not capable of doing it <laughs> i mean that's where I say if there had been even one woman on that jury, I feel like things would have gone differently. But um, yeah, so the prosecutor's case is basically like, well, who else could have done it? Which, uh, I mean, again, say it with me now. That is not evidence. No, it's not evidence. Um, so Monday, June 5th of 1893, the trial begins. During the prosecutor's opening statement, Lizzie notices that the skulls of her father and stepmother are in a bag. What? Are you serious? Yeah, he has it like at his table. They're just in a bag. They're skulls. And, and oh my she, god, she faints. Rightfully, no. I'm. I'm like, yeah. That that would be distressing. And this kind of had the opposite effect of what the prosecutor was hoping because, again, her fainting. Would a guilty woman do that? No, this poor frail woman. This poor, frail, fainting woman. How could she, this poor, weak, weak lady, be a murderer? How could she even lift a hatchet? Which, let me tell you, my four-year-old nephew could probably kill somebody with a hatchet if he hit them like (laughs) 10 to 18 times. No, come on. You hit somebody with a hatchet 10 to 18 times? They they did. They did. I don't care how big or small you are. And hatchet, see, people always have this visual of an axe. A hatchet is much, much smaller than an axe. It's more of a, it has a slimmer handle. And it's you can tinier. wield a hatchet with one hand if you want. I like yeah. them. You can't see me gesturing how I would hatchet somebody. <laughs> but like an axe, you should really swing with two hands. You can get away with swinging a hatchet with one hand very easily and still do a lot of damage. So... 
Bridget takes the stand. Funny side note, I have to, I, I realized I didn't mention this last week and this is my bad. Um, Bridget's real name was Maggie. I think I knew that. Yeah, they called her because the old maid was named Bridget. And so they just never stopped calling her Bridget, even though that wasn't her name. Oh, but it, it confuses no. some people because she's generally referred to as Bridget, but every so often you see her referred to as Maggie and people get very confused. Her name was actually Maggie, but the poor woman was referred to as Bridget. Wow. So, which I continue to do. So there you go. So Bridget takes a stand and talks about how she didn't see anything weird. Alice Russell takes the stand and she talks about how that dress, that dress, the burning dress, the dress that Lizzie burned. This was really important because from the get-go, if Lizzie did this, why was she not covered in blood? And why did they not find any garment covered in blood? Hacking somebody to death is messy work so the theory is that whatever dress she had worn she must have then burned but alice didn't actually see her burning the dress she came across lizzie tearing the dress up to burn and asking her about it lizzie had said it was too dirty to clean and even held it up a little bit and as far as alice could tell it wasn't blood stained, but it was darker i think when it happened So it's hard to tell. It's hard to tell. Now, there's a couple theories about how she could have also gotten away with uh, these killings if it was her and not gotten covered in blood. The probably most ridiculous one is that she was nude. I think I've heard that. And I feel like (sighs) that's the most bonkers thing I've ever heard. It's become really popular, especially recent years. Uh, In fact, the, the, the newest... Lizzie Borden movie. It came out a couple years ago with um, Kristen Stewart and uh, was it Chloe Sevigny? Um, oh, I heard about that, but I never saw it. No, you're fine. It's awful. But um, no, she's nude in that. They have her doing the killings and they're nude. Which, like, here's the thing, though. If, if she killed her stepmother nude and then got dressed again and then killed her father new, and then got undressed and killed her father new, and then got dressed again. Like, remembering this is the 1890s. It wasn't that simple for a woman to get dressed and undressed. True. Lots of layers. Layers and corsets. corsets. Yeah. Like, that's, that's not just, a, that's not throwing on a pair of jeans and a sweatshirt, you know? You don't do, you don't go back and forth and back and forth like that. And that's going to mess up your hair. That's going to, I don't know. That, that whole thing seems kind of ridiculous. Now, there is another theory I came across that was pretty interesting. So, when you look at the crime scene photos, you can see Andrew Borden's coat in it, kind of tucked under his head. Now, if you, if you take this theory into effect, think about the time of year it's august right so you don't need a coat why would you need a coat so the and and apparently this coat too he took very good care of so he wouldn't have just like folded it under or put it under a pillow on the couch he would have nicely hung it up so one of the theories is that uh lizzie put the coat on backwards to cover herself up and did the murder, and then because it was covered in blood, if she tucked it under Andrew's body, nobody would think anything of it because there's blood seeping everywhere. It's just another item with more blood on it. I mean, that's very smart. 
It is very smart. And it's, it's a possibility. Um, I, I think it's very possible that she just used something if it was her to cover her clothes anyway. But I do feel I need to point out because this gets used a lot. Everybody talks about, in fact, I, I saw some contemporary articles talking about this, how, you know, it was so hot. Why would Lizzie have gone into the hot, hot, hot barn? Well, this actually wasn't that warm of the day. It hit 83 degrees that afternoon. But this is early in the day. This is early in the day. So it's what, maybe in the low to mid 70s, which is very pleasant weather. Sure. And in fact, the morning was listed as being kind of cool. So a very proper man like Andrew Borden, yeah, maybe he wore his coat out. You know, Bridget had to grab a shawl when she went looking for the doctor. <sighs> it's possible is what it's you're It's possible. It's possible. And again, it, it throws some doubt out there. So anyway, sorry, I digress. Back to the trial. No, it's a good point. The prosecution wants to admit all of Lizzie's testimony from the inquest to show how inconsistent she is, that she's not giving straight answers. The defense is pushing to have it thrown out. Not just because she's on morphine. Remember, she was on morphine. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. Uh, she was on morphine. But that, no, they weren't arguing that. What they were arguing is that she voluntarily went into that inquest and gave testimony. At the point she did that, she was essentially, without knowing it, under arrest and everything but name. There was a secret warrant already out for her arrest, and she was the primary suspect. But no one had read her rights. No attorney was present, and she was never informed that her testimony could be used against her. That is some shady shit. That is some shady shit. And you know who else thought that? The court. Oh, good. And testimony. Yeah, it was ruled inadmissible. So that's a blow to the prosecution. Trial continues. Uh, photos, again, are shown from the scene, which, again, this is notable. The first time that uh, crime scene photos are being used in such a way in a public trial like this. But also remember that the bodies had been moved before they took the pictures. So <laughs> funny side note. Uh, do you remember Lizzie saying that she'd helped her father take off his boots? Yes. So he could put on his slippers. If you look at those photos, it looks like he is still wearing his boots. Oh. I'm just saying. That's a detail. That's a detail. Anyway, uh, between testimony and the pictures, it was apparently so bad. One of the jury members, the all-male jury members, fainted. <laughs> Wait, did Lizzie faint? Not at that point. Just when she, she saw the skulls. When she saw the skulls. I don't know. She, maybe she looked. See, the thing is, is she could look away. She could cover her face. The jury's not allowed to. Oh. The jury okay. has to look. I remember this when I served on a jury of a trial that involved an injury. And I remember because the photos were grotesque of the injury and I did not want to look, but I did not have a choice. Really? You didn't want to look at gore? No. It was sad gore. It was from a worksite accident at a construction oh, site. Whoa. Yeah, that's not, that's not gore where you're like, Moida. no, that's, that's, this poor man's life was destroyed. So that wasn't, that wasn't fun gore to look at. It's medical gore. Yeah. Uh, they called the pharmacist, the one that Lizzie had tried to buy the prussic acid from. But again, the testimony is struck because trying to buy prussic acid is not a crime. So and she didn't point, buy it. And she didn't buy it. And there was no proof that they had ever been poisoned. 
so all it does is is make her look bad and and prejudice people uh, against her but it's not evidence it's not proof of anything and that was the prosecution's case (laughs) wow that's like nothing there it is yep so the defense starts so they're bringing in witnesses who say oh yeah there was weird noises and weird things the night before the murder and others who were like i saw an odd young man around the Borden house that morning there's an ice i love this guy's testimony there's this ice cream peddler and english is not his first language I'm reading his testimony is really funny. And um, he testifies he'd seen a young woman coming from the direction of the Borden barn a little after 11. Just like Lizzie had said, she had been in the barn. And he was very positive at the time because he had like very strict times. He went about his route and went back and everything. (laughs) There's also this great testimony. So one of the things that's kind of pointed out, if Lizzie had been in the barn, the police said they found no footprints, right? Right. So. A couple local boys had apparently snuck into the barn. One of them testifies um, before the police went in because they'd heard about the murder and they're like, we want to take a look around. Maybe we'll see a murderer. Maybe we'll see blood or an ax or whatever. I mean. And they went in before the police went in and then snuck back out. So they were in the barn right before the police went in there. And yet the police said they saw no footprints. So either they genuinely saw no footprints and you couldn't really see footprints in the barn they forgot or they were lying either way no evidence either way no evidence 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 final witness emma borden she takes the stand first thing she does is she reads out lizzie's bank balance from the morning of the murder her bank balance was a couple thousand dollars which again 1893 that is not an insignificant amount of money sure lizzie also had stocks she was not destitute even before she'd be inheriting this money she was financially okay and then she was questioned about how close lizzie and andrew borden were so the defense asked did your father wear a ring miss emma upon his finger and she said yes sir and they asked was or was not that the only article of jewelry which he wore and she said yes the only article and they asked her do you know from whom he received the ring And she said, my sister Lizzie. They asked her about how long he wore it. He wore it for like 10 to 15 years before he died. He was buried with it. It was very dear to him because his daughter had given it to him. She also testifies that she was the one that told Lizzie to burn the dress. In fact, what she testifies to saying was this, I was washing dishes and I heard my sister's voice and I turned round and saw she was standing at the foot of the stove, between the foot of the stove and the dining room door. This dress was hanging on her arm and she says, I think I shall burn this old dress up. I said, why don't you? Or you would better, or I would if I were you or something like that. I can't tell the exact words, but it meant do it. And I turned back and continued washing the dishes and did not see her burn it and did not pay any more attention to her at that time. I mean, that's fair. But she sees the dress and I guess burning clothes is just a thing they did when a piece of clothing was worn out. I mean, that's way more fun than just giving it to Goodwill, but it it is, it is. But also she didn't look at it and think, wow, that's a dress covered in blood. She's just like, oh, it's an old rag. Yeah, you should burn it. To be fair though, 
potentially Lizzie could have like folded it in a weird way where blood is covered. Possibly, and you but can't again, see it. People have recreated the blood splatter for the crime. If she was just wearing the dress, she would have been just covered, covered in blood. And again, there was time between the two murders where people, where, where Bridget saw her, where her father saw her. So did she put the soiled dress back on? Did she, I mean, again, you come back to the, did she change out of bloody clothes, put clean clothes on, change back into bloody clothes, do another murder, change back out of the bloody clothes, clean herself up, put clean clothes on, clean herself up, and then go cry bloody murder while hiding the dress somewhere where the police can't find it. So you don't think she did it, is what you're saying. I don't know. I honestly, I have to say, and I was going to talk more about this at the end, so let's, let's press save on that for now. That. Put sure. a pin in that. Because okay. there's other things that, that come out. Okay. Um, so both sides close their case. We already know this. She is found not guilty. Even though the jury deliberated for about an hour, they knew pretty quickly they were all on the same page. So they were like, not guilty. Cool, not guilty. Uh, should we go back out? Nah, let's wait a little longer so it looks like we actually thought things through. <laughs> so they hung out in the jury room for a while because they were afraid that if they came out too fast, people would be like, mm. I mean, so, that's fair. That's fair. Uh, she's not guilty. Cheers, cheers outside the courtroom. Went on for like 10 minutes long as she is exiting. And then things kind of died down and people were like, mm, murderer. So sisters though, life goes on. They request the skulls of their parents, uh, have them returned to them, buried them with, with their bodies somehow. Lizzie and her sister buy a new home, big home. A home not too far away from where they were currently living. They stay in town, which is a bold move. Mm -hmm. But it's a mansion. It's the fancy part of town. She's always dreamed of this. She hoped that she'd be able to just kind of pick up and move on. And it's it's never that simple. Especially if you're staying in the same town. Like yeah, that to me, that to me was her big misstep. Uh, I understand in some ways why she did. I think she really didn't think that the scrutiny would continue. But I, I also think that if she had moved somewhere else, the notoriety wouldn't have followed her the same way. Totally. Um, in fact, there was a, an article that ran in the Boston Sunday Herald on April 6th of 1913. So this is 20 years after the murder. But it, it's talking about some of the stories and rumors that were getting passed around about... Um, Lizzie and one of them talked about uh, a grocer delivering flour to her home according to the story Lizzie Borden asked the grocer if he would open the barrel for her certainly he replied wait a minute until I run down to the cellar and get a hatchet said Mrs. Borden oh no <laughs> according out. according to the cellar the grocer's man is, is running yet so <laughs> there's a lot of these kinds of stories being passed around you know stories about her uh, killing pets or, or acting strangely um, that, that have no basis in fact. So 
There was an accusation of shoplifting at one point, but not much came of it. Outside of that seems to be the start of some of those legends of her being a shoplifter, her stealing. That's kind of made its way very firmly into Lizzie Borden lore. And it doesn't look like there's a whole lot of basis in fact for that. There's just a couple incidents that get attributed to her. There's also all the rumors that Lizzie is a lesbian. I heard that too. Oh yeah, that's become, it's become real popular the last couple decades. And again, that, that most recent big screen adaption with uh, Chloe Sevigny and, and, and Kristen Stewart, they, Kristen plays um, Bridget or Maggie, whatever you want to call her, and they are having an affair. Oh, wonderful. So, uh, a lot of, but it's not the first source that said that's what was happening, that her and Bridget were having an affair and that Mrs. Borden found out and was enraged or that... Mr. Borden was also having an affair with Bridget, so he was pissed that his daughter was also, you know, dipping her toe into what he was dipping it into. Um, and a lot of these even look at Bridget and say she must have had a part in it, which could explain how some of it was accomplished, I suppose. Sure. And a couple years after she was acquitted, she is formally accused of lesbianism. A man wrote a judge and said that his wife was guilty of lesbianism and specifically named Lizzie. <laughs> As someone involved in his wife's lesbianism, I guess. The judge dismissed it, but, you know, once that gets put out there, anyone looks at any relationship you have with a, another woman um, and, and kind of points to it as a, it must be true. Yeah. The actress Nance O'Neill became a close friend of Lizzie's. It's often insinuated that they were having an affair as well. Uh, Nance was pretty well known, apparently very striking. She was about six feet tall. And Lizzie was really into the theater and became a big admirer of hers. So sometime around 1904, Lizzie sent her flowers and asked Nance to meet with her. And she changed her name at this point to Lizbeth to try and escape some of the notoriety. Right. But it didn't really help. She got a lot of dogs. <laughs> she got a couple dogs, made her life better. I and, mean, I, I understand mean. that I love a little pup pup. Well, eventually even her sister left because on June of 1905, uh, the tension had been building between them for a while and Emma moved out of their shared home and their relationship really crumbled after that. In fact, there's a lot of evidence to show that they didn't have next to any contact, at least in person. Some think that her relationship with Nance was the thing that finally did it, or again, possibly her lesbianism. Lizzie apparently also allowed the entire theater troupe to stay with them at one point, so maybe it was that too. Theater people are the worst. Ha ha ha, hashtag theater major. Um, but Emma had spoken to the reverend about it sometime in 1903, because she was unhappy, and, and he had encouraged her to move out then, and this was a year before she met Nance. So... There was also a coachman who was quite the ladies' man. Oh. And Lizzie very much liked this coachman and gave him a very fancy watch. And Emma did not like this coachman and may have dismissed him. But she, you know, she wouldn't speak ill of Lizzie, at least not publicly, even after they had their falling out. Uh, in an interview she gave years later, she said, I did my duty at the trial when I sat with Lizzie day after day and then testified for her. And despite our estrangement, I am going to do my duty and answer the cruel slanders that have been made against her both in public print and by gossiping persons who seem to take delight in saying cruel things about her. 
So she's defending her sister, even though they're not really speaking. Uh, She talks about visiting her father's grave. She says, every Memorial Day, I carry flowers to father's grave and Lizzie does not forget him. She generally sends her tribute by florist. Uh, It would be kind of conspicuous for her to go, but also notice they're talking about Andrew's grave and not Abby's. That's notable. Notable. Uh, Lizzie would die on June 1st of 1927. She had a, a heart condition, an inflammation of the heart layers. And her sister, Emma, died 10 days later. Lizzie requested to be buried at her father's feet. Was it next to his head, too? Oh, it could have been, depending on how they chucked the head in. <laughs> now, let's talk ghosts. Ooh, ghosties. I love a good ghostie. You do. You might be a little disappointed. Uh, oh, shoot. We're so, <laughs> well... Here's the thing when I when I started doing research for the ghost portion and I'm I'm glad at one point the plan was to do an episode on Lizzie and then do an episode just on the hauntings and my god I'm glad that's not what we did because the hauntings are not I don't want to say not interesting cuz that's not true but there there's nothing uh, so the 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 former Borden home still exists um it's at 92 Second Street in Fall River, Massachusetts. Uh, it's been a B&B since like the 90s. And it attracts a lot of visitors. I mean, I would go there. You would go there. I would go there. Uh, I've, I've been outside it. I've not been inside it. And, and there have been reports of things that happen. Tour guides uh, have reported having things move, sometimes fly out of their hands. Uh, people getting pushed or poked. Um, our most favorite show ever, Ghost Adventures, went oh, there. With your friend, Zach. With my friend, Zach. Uh, they had a bunch of things happen. Their cameras got messed with and people were grabbed. And, okay, listen, full disclosure. <laughs> I I watched and then I had to stop because there was like, they were they were talking about demons and saying like, there's a dark force feeding off the Bordens. And I tapped out around then because I... This dark force is what made Lizzie kill her. No, it's not. I couldn't. I'm sorry. This idea that there's like a demon and now the Bordens are trapped in there. And I, they were also, okay. It wasn't just the demon stuff. Cause fine. Demons, sure. Whatever. Um, <laughs> I can't. <laughs> like if you believe in demons, that's legit. You know, I grew up Catholic. I understand. Um, I'm open to the idea of demons. I've just not seen as much compelling evidence Evidence. um at least the vast majority of of the things i see people point to and say demons i need a little bit more than just you pointing and saying demon but anyway i mean that's very fair so they they were pulling facts out that i know are not true in the episode they were talking about rumors and conjecture and not facts so i i turned off because i just get annoyed when that happens because I will own when you're when you're researching these things, it can be really hard sometimes to distinguish fact from fiction. I'm sure there's oh, yeah. been plenty of times we have reported things and I'm always happy to correct something I have missaid if I can find the the evidence that I missaid it. Like historical cases are rough. You are dealing with a lot of conjecture. But big but well, there's a difference between, you know this is something that's widely reported as fact that actually isn't and just being lazy and taking a Wikipedia page about something like, sure. I don't know. So 
Despite the notoriety of the place, there there's kind of a lack of actual stories. Like it's all kind of run of the mill, you know, noises, things move, but nobody like checks into the bed and breakfast and then runs screaming into the night. That's fair. Um, I couldn't even find much that previous owners had said about the place before it was a B&B, which I also find a little suspicious when suddenly it just becomes really active as it becomes more of a tourist location. That sounds a lot like the Winchester mystery house. It, you know, honestly, it, that's kind of what it made me think of. And you're dealing with an old house. So sure. There's probably stuff. There's also probably things like bad wiring and, and yeah. what the what, um, if you have stayed there and you've got some stories, feel free to send them our way. I will happily share them i but here's the thing we even posted something to our ghost hunting group june did this for me earlier because i had asked her if she had any experiences nobody was able to respond with anything i mean it's more telling when people are more quiet about a location than not in my opinion because the other thing that you have to be mindful of, like in regards to the previous owners, is that sometimes people don't want to draw attention to the place that they own if it's famous. Sure, like, sure, sure. But it's the family that has owned that owns the bed and breakfast, they've owned the home. It's been passed down through their family. They've right. owned it for decades and decades and decades. So they're the ones still running the bed and breakfast and saying that it's haunted. Very much so. Got it. So, I mean, it could be an opinion thing, too, because I've also been to locations that are old and really cool looking and have been around forever and look haunted as shit. Like, you look at a spot because it's wow, wow, wow. Like, super haunted. And... Like, my first question to people is, have you had any experiences there? And a lot of, like, docents that are more mature might be like, oh, we don't talk about that here. Or, like, they might not want to discuss the fact that something might be because owners don't want to draw that type of attention. But they're fully leaning into it. And that's where I say it's not that I doubt these stories. And I still have a couple things to share about experiences. It's not that I doubt there's stuff happening. I doubt the level of of mm-hmm. report again i come back to the winchester where yeah. it is a very old house a lot of people have been through it it is very possible and again getting getting kind of to that i found one website that got a little bit more detailed and what it sounds like is if there are hauntings it's a lot of residual hauntings so people see andrew being murdered or they see him walking around going about his work same with abby they see her doing housework or they see her getting murdered some who see the maid just doing housework or think they see lizzie walking around and all of this is pretty run-of-the-mill residual hauntings is what it sounds like um there's also an account i read of two children who allegedly drowned the thing is I have yet to, and I'm continuing to look into this because now I'm curious, but I have not found any actual reports of two children who drowned outside of the ghost stories. Huh. And I'm always a little suspicious when there are these ghosts and people are like, it's the ghost of the children that drowned. I'm like, cool, cool, cool. Can you give me a year? Can you give me a name? Can you give me, I mean, I'm just, I'm just saying. Scully. 
I I am who I am, Gabby. I am who I am. <laughs> and this is why I appreciate you. I, I don't want people to think I don't believe because I actually very much oh, do. Oh, no, she does. She fully does. I fully do. What I get frustrated with is people don't take people who believe in ghosts or ghost hunters seriously. And part of it is if you look at every picture of dust and think it's a ghost, no one's going to take you seriously. Asterisk, listen to the first episode of this podcast if you'd like a reference to that. Just saying. Yes. But anyway, uh, so Lizzie's Maplecraft home, which is the one she moved into after she moved out of the murder home. That one is also supposed to be haunted. Uh, in fact, some of the former owners have talked about how they think that the spirit there is Lizzie, possibly Emma, and somebody that keeps coming through saying that he's Lizzie's boyfriend. Is it the know. coach guy? That's kind of what I wondered. <laughs> um, and the, the Maplecraft home specifically has also had a number of investigators who've come through it. Uh, most of the reports I read with them, though, had a lot to do with like, I felt energy. I feel like this spirit is suspicious of us as we come through there, which power to you. I'm all about, you know, feeling energies. Uh, I, I have, I'm real sensitive to energies myself, but one has to respect the fact that feeling energies is not evidence. No, it just is a not feeling. meant to, it's a feeling. It is not meant to be disrespectful to say, I think that's awesome. And please share with me that you are feeling weird energies. However, I can't use that as evidence. I can mark it down as like, this is a thing that happened. I can't use it as evidence. Uh, you can find EVPs people have caught uh, online if you Google long enough. I listened to some, there's been a lot of ghost hunting groups that, that have caught stuff, but honestly, I, I mostly find them to be fairly unimpressive. There weren't any that I even felt like were worth sharing on here because it's a lot of like, do you hear that? You moving your feet? Yeah, I heard that. Did you hear that? What sounded like your stomach? Yep, totes heard that. Like, it's the ghost of my lunch. The ghost of my lunch. So this, this leads me back to what, what you'd asked earlier. Do I think she did it? Um, I will say before doing this dive, I was pretty hardcore. Yeah, she probably did it. I don't know. I, and I mean, again, there's, there's so much that we're not even talking about, like some of the other suspects. Um, there's a quite extensive list of people who it could have been, but not a lot of compelling evidence. There was another axe death that happens uh, within a couple of years of, of this one. That one seemed much more robbery motivated. But it, it is something to look at. It's like, hmm, that's interesting. I struggle with this because I don't think it's straightforward. I don't think we're ever necessarily going to know. Um, she was so adamant and there really wasn't evidence outside of if it wasn't her, who was it? I almost feel like there's a couple of factors be like, that cause you to think that mm -hmm. I think the, the way they handled the crime scene was shit. Oh, it, it, they, it just enrages they me. They didn't do a good job with this case. Whoever no. handled this, lots of holes that they poked and it didn't work. Like the yeah. way that they handled it, if it had been handled properly in the way that it should have been handled from the get go, we might 
have a person. But see, this is also super early forensics. So they there was stuff they were starting to just dip their feet into in times of forensic work. But so I think if this case had happened even 10 years after the fact, we might be looking at something a little different. Yeah, I could see that. With everything that we talked about, the one thing that I can't get out of my head is the fact that the blood, the blood splatter, where did it go? If she did it, where did it go and how was it done? And it almost makes me think that maybe she hired like a hitman who did this for a living. Who came in, waited, and... Yeah. So there was somebody else in the house. Yeah. Yeah. And that she just happened to be around because she knew about it. And she happened to be there to say, father has been injured because she knew what was coming. I would say, though, then again, follow the money trail. How do you get paid? How much do you get paid? I think if there was a way to track that, that would be great. But I don't think we have, or I mean, we don't, but like, I don't know if they'd had a a way to even track the money trail because if she had access to money, she had her, yeah, she had some of her money. Then she could could have used some of her own money. You know what I mean? Or like, maybe it was like the coach guy. Maybe she knew him a while the time that there was a good like decade between the murders and coach guy some people look at bridget i just i think outside of proximity she's kind of a it's like toss a coin bridget lizzie bridget lizzie neither one is is great but lizzie would have had more motive only because of money mm-hmm. but like lizzie was also you know was very generous with with her money once she inherited it, like more so than, than Andrew Borden, at least in terms of, of donating it out to people and, and helping people out. Um, maybe that's where the money went too. Maybe it was after the fact, maybe it was after she inherited money that she paid this person. Like, I don't know. I'm just trying to think of a theory. It's, I mean, it, it, hitman is possible. I, I mean, I think at the end of the day, again, we're not, it's like Jack the Ripper. We will yeah, never we have know. a definitive answer. Um, barring some smoking gun. Sure. Or some deathbed letters that somebody unearths. I don't think we're ever going to know for sure. I think it is too bad that so much of the facts of this case get warped. Because I, I still see a, a case for how it could have been her. But I think I don't. You cheapen cases when you when you don't really give the facts their due, and you also you create legends potentially out of murderers at the expense, I think sometimes of their victims too. Oh, for sure. And I think this is one of those cases where the victims weren't as focused on. Oh no, definitely not. I mean, everybody knows Lizzie Borden's name. How many people can name who her parents were? Yeah. Who were the ones who were murdered? Or the fact that, well, and the fact that like Abby Borden gets such a bum rap and yet it sounds like she was just kind of a quiet woman. Yeah, she just wasn't liked by the people that gave her the reputation that they gave her. Like, yeah. And it's just kind of crazy, too, because I feel like, I mean, by the way, happy one-year anniversary. Um, oh, yeah. It's officially our one-year anniversary, guys. Um, in the last year that we've been doing our podcast, I feel like we've had the goal to discuss different topics that we've known but we didn't know what we were getting ourselves into until no, that is true. Research. <laughs> that is like, true. <laughs> fully didn't realize 
Like, I was so excited to do the Winchester Mystery House. I was so excited to visit the Winchester Mystery House that I brought all of my ghost hunting equipment with me on the tour. Fully did it. Freaked out most of the people. Other people were rolling their eyes at me. I was so into it. But, like, didn't find much, you know? And it was a little disappointing in that sense. But then when I did all the research on it, I was like, oh, my God, this poor woman. It's not at all what people think. And, like, it is a little bit soul crushing to find out that information but it's also really enlightening and nice to actually set the record straight and at least be able to share that information with other people too and I feel like this is a really good example of that also because we don't know if she did it or not yeah and Uh, she could have she absolutely could have maybe she didn't I think if nothing else she gets a really bum rap uh and and so do Abby and so do Andrew like I'm kind of appalled after doing this research at both of their portrayals in most of the movies I see about them. You um, should write them letters and tell them how you feel. <laughs> well, it's just, it's, it's sad because these were, you know, Andrew Borden gets portrayed a lot of times as, as I mean, at worst, a pervert who's maybe macking on his daughter or or molesting the maid or like, things that there is no basis in fact to to support this um show him as being very cruel show show abby as being so cruel and cold and and evil and yet they were the ones who were murdered first of all (laughs) yeah um but they also there's as far as i could tell they were fairly well-liked people so by lizzie herself too like even if lizzie did it she loved her father yeah, she loved her father. The ring, the fact that she wanted to be buried at his feet. Like their relationship was extremely close. And that's not to say, I mean, plenty of people kill people they love. Right. And and for, for a variety of reasons. Um, so it, it it doesn't her loving him doesn't take her off the table as a suspect, but it it doesn't mean that she didn't love him and they didn't have a relationship there's just how family's complicated but uh no i i have to say i this is has firmly pressed me into the undecided i don't know i i struggle because if it wasn't her i do struggle with who it could have been but i also look at the timeline for abby being a little bit more on the fence so could somebody have broken in could she have hired a hitman could bridget have done it could there's there's i don't know i don't know you know it's a tough day when kim doth says she doesn't know because <laughs> i need evidence evidence and this brings us to creepy critics corner creepy critics corner kim yeah what you watching? What I've been watching. Um, I am actually by the time this episode comes out, I will have finished Hundred Days of Horror. Congratulations! Oh. I know it's been a real go this year. It's been it's been a lot. It's been a lot. <laughs> um, I will say I watched something last night, and I still I'm still reeling from it. It was a this is not an endorsement. P.S. I don't think anybody should watch this. It was a movie called Meat Weed Madness. What? Ooh, yeah that was pretty much me the entire time i i think 
my response was, what the F did I just watch? <laughs> uh, and not in a good way. That's true. Sometimes you say it in a good way. No, this was not a good way. But I, I have watched a couple recently that were really, really quite fun. I watched a movie called The Caller. Mm-hmm. That was pretty cool. Uh it was one that's kind of been loosely on my radar for a while and I finally got around to it. And it's uh, a movie about a woman who, who leaves her abusive husband and moves into this kind of old rundown apartment and it has this older telephone in it. And she starts getting phone calls on this telephone and they're kind of strange. It's this woman named Rose and they start chatting and kind of become friendly but then things start to get a little weird and I don't really want to give more away, but I really enjoyed it. It was a, a really well done. I thought the performances were all really strong and the story was a little predictable, but anymore, that's kind of what I say all the time when I watch a horror film. You watch a lot of horror films too. I watch a lot of horror films. That is true. Uh, I also watched a movie called, um, Hacko Lantern. Oh, what a name. I like the pun. It's P.S. There was a lack of hacking jack-o'-lanterns, which I personally take offense to. But uh, this is, if you're looking for like a masterpiece in bad late 80s slasher films, this movie's it. But like so bad, it's circling back around to being brilliant. It's so bad and so much fun. So if you want some just like really good, bad movie to watch, Hack-A-Lantern will not disappoint. If you want something that's kind of fun uh, and suspenseful, watch The Caller. Nobody, please, for the love of all that's holy, watch Meat Weed Madness. Unless you really want to watch a bad movie. No, no. it's But see, it's not even... I'm still not sure if I watched a horror film a softcore porn. Oh no. Or some kind of weird like reefer madness spoof. I don't know what I was watching. <gasps> I didn't particularly, it wasn't funny even in a bad way. It was just what the ever loving frack. Noted. So no, I do not recommend. Gabby, what have you been watching <laughs> or reading or listening to? Well, um, I always love listening to uh, the podcast, Why Won't You Date Me? Because it's always fun you with Nicole Byer. <laughs> Highly recommend it if you want a good time. Um, Nicole Byer is my favorite. She is your favorite. So I will plug her forever. That's not what I wanted to talk to you about, though. <laughs> so I finally, I was really excited to talk to you about this because I feel like it's very on brand for our episode this week because I think Lizzie Borden is an unsolved mystery, right? <laughs> Like literally, sure, sure. it is an unsolved mystery. It is. So you are right. I wanted to continue the theme of the unsolved mystery by watching more of unsolved mysteries on Netflix. Okay. And I reminded myself that everything is unsolved. So I don't have to think that, wait, what happened at the end? <laughs> so I will just say that the episode that really threw me emotionally was the one that I was really excited to talk about. And it's the one that deals with the tsunami in Japan in March of 2011. Mm -hmm. And this is actually a really unique take on unsolved mysteries because unsolved mysteries in, in general has always dealt with like 
missing people or people that have been murdered or Mm -hmm. what have you. It's generally like along those lines. It doesn't generally deal with paranormal things. It does. Sometimes it does. The old school ones. The old school ones do. The newer ones haven't. Um, Disappointing. I well, this one does though. So you're welcome. Honestly, like I knew about the tsunami when it happened back in 2011, but I don't think I knew about it to this degree. So the whole Uh, first half of the episode really gives you insight into what it was like to live through it um, from people that survived it and lost family members, entire families, friends, coworkers, all that. There were like I'm not going to get this number right. I want to say it was like 15,000 people that died and 3,000 people that were still missing. Mm-hmm. Um, don't quote me on that. <laughs> just, I think I'm it was something like forever. that. That's Endeavor. fine. Just watch the episode Endeavor. and then you'll see it. But basically, it, it really talks about Japanese culture and how there's a very fine line between life and death. And Japanese culture generally accepts the concept of ghosts way more than like American culture does, in my opinion. Their spooky season is August. (laughs) Let's go there in August. I'm down. Uh, Whenever there's not a pandemic. Right. um, Anyway, this it's just a really interesting topic because it's not just about ghosts. It's about the spirits that were left behind by those that passed during the tsunami in 2011 that may be wandering and lost because their homes are no longer there. And it's so sad uh, definitely shed a tear, but it's also very interesting and a really great eye opener. So I highly recommend, uh, if you haven't seen it yet, you should watch it. If you like spooky things like we do, I mean, obviously you're listening to this for a reason, so check it out. Now, if you like a funny ha ha moment and you like Amy Sedaris, she has a show called At Home with Amy Sedaris, and it is very funny and it's on True TV. It's also accessible on. Amazon Prime. Uh, I've been watching that and it really gives me a good giggle from here and there. And I really enjoy her as a comedian and person. So that's my creepy critics corner. (laughs) Nice. And uh, happy belated Halloween, everyone. We hope you enjoyed Halloween from a safe distance and you know all that <laughs> we hope you appreciated that Gabby's pulling so much overtime on the editing doing an episode every week and we hate so to disappoint you and tell you that we're going bi-weekly now moving forward because I need to maintain sanity um and also because it's a lot of work so <laughs> so if you want to help us out with all of the work we do have a Patreon. Patreon! It is Ghoulish Tendencies Podcast. We've got some fun stuff on there. We've got some bloopers coming out. We've got some rants coming out. We've got <laughs> some postcards that are really fun and some rad stickies, stickers that are coming at you for our Patreons. And I'm trying to put together a cool Christmas card. It's a work in progress. Yes. Very cool. So if you would like to partake or even just really want to help us out, we really appreciate it. There's different levels that you can donate at. And thank you to Jeffrey for becoming a $10 donor per month. Yay. Thanks, Jeffrey. Jeffrey. Also, your candles are amazing. We love your candles. Love your candles. (laughs) Pearl Candle Company. If you haven't checked them out, check them out. Out.
We also have a website. It is ghoulishtendencies.com. We have all of our show notes, references, episodes, social media. You can find it all there. We also have a Facebook page, which is Ghoulish Tendencies Podcast, and an Instagram, which we generally like to post a lot of fun photos or fun facts or fun memes. Anything that's fun and spooky, we like to post on there. And we also like to communicate with y'all. So if you have any questions, Comments, concerns, suggestions, just want to say hi, shout us out on there. We always really appreciate when people leave us ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts, and you can listen to us anywhere that you can listen to podcasts. We also have a Twitter. It is Ghoulish Podcast. Thank you for listening. Stay spooky.